What's going on? It's Joey Thurman, and welcome to Season 3 of the Fad or Future Podcast. Yeah, I made it three seasons. What's different about this season? Well, yes, I'm still bringing you the world's top experts in fitness, nutrition, mental health, and more. But I'm also talking about my own personal struggles. I get deeper this season because we can all use a little bit of relatability. So I hope you stick with me, you enjoy this season, and thank you for being here. And as always, you get to decide, is it a fad or is it a future? Because after all, we don't want to be fatties, F-A-D-D-Y. Hashtag don't be a fatty. What's up? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fat or Future podcast. I'm glad you found us either on purpose or accidentally. Stay here because I got a doctor in front of me who might have been to the gym before. Not quite sure. He wasn't wearing sleeves beforehand, but he wanted to be professional. I'm not wearing sleeves. So what does that say about me? Dr. Chalmers, what's, what's up, man? Not much. How's it going? It's going well. You know, I've got a little coconut oil on. I'm tan. It's warm outside. I'm okay with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, I am. I am super jealous. Super, super jealous. So you're you're the author of the book uh, Pillars of Wellness. You a chiropractor by trade? Yeah. So I'm a chiropractor. I have a specialty in neurology, specialty in sports, specialty in Eastern medicine nutrition, and uh, I also own a medical hormone therapy company. Amazing. So you like reading. I, what's funny is I, I'm the, <clears throat> I wake up at 4 a.m. I've done it for like 12 years, and I just research for two or three hours because I have this weird problem with not knowing the answers to questions people ask me. Right. So I just read all the time. Well, that makes a lot of sense. The funny thing is I realized I liked learning after college exactly the same thing you know yeah. I, I played hockey so i needed to maintain a c average just to stay on the ice i did literally just enough to stay on the ice i barely went to class never studied never really did much of anything made it through but that was it and then afterwards it's like oh this this learning stuff if you're actually interested in it makes a lot of sense well, it's one of those things that whenever someone quits telling you, you have to learn this and you're like, what do I want to learn? What do I want to know? What helps me personally? All of a sudden, it's just like, you'll spend five hours reading. And you're like, oh my gosh, I spent five hours. Right. So it's, it's whenever you get to do your thing, it's totally different. Yeah, I agree. So what is it that you do on a daily basis? Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a fun question. Right. So basically my job is I return physiology back to where it's supposed to be. So like, there's a quote, we talked about this earlier, there's a quote in the book that says, if it's ever helped anybody, it gets to play. So we do Eastern medicine, we'll do muscle kinesiological testing, muscle testing, uh, supplementation, whatever it takes. But my goal is, what's the body supposed to be doing? Why is it no longer doing that thing? How do we get it back to being where the way it was designed to be? Mm -hmm. We return it back to that. And then all of a sudden, everything goes where it's supposed to go. So that's basically, I always tell people, I'm more of a physiologist. My goal is to correct physiological issues. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, everything starts to work again. Yeah, I mean, because you know, standard medicine in, in the States, especially is, you know, you see the doctor for maybe a few minutes and then they're either prescribing a pill or sending you off to a, a specialist. And then generally, I'm overgeneralizing here. I, there's medical doctors that I know that are, you know, very good and, and 
um, do all sorts of different things than what I'm going to explain here. But generally they send you off to a specialist or a surgeon and they're like, uh, go to physical therapy or you need to go under a knife. And that's pretty much what it is. And if it's a psychiatrist, they'll tell me your problem for 30 minutes. And then here's some, you know, Zoloft or, you know, some, something else that's going to hopefully make you feel better, but they don't really address anything otherwise. And I, I really like your quote about it. If it has helped people before it can play, because that's really true in almost anything, even in, in fitness as well. People will get a different certification and then everything else that they've done in life beforehand with their clients goes out the window. That becomes their Bible, you know, and they get another certification. And then that, the, why can't you take little phrases that we're going with the, you know, Bible analogy here. What, why can't you take little excerpts of that that are still working? And it is really interesting that you're able to do that. And um, other um, doctors and, and physicians are taking that route. Yeah, the functional medicine thing has really kind of sprung up. What I think is hilarious is that I talk to my medical buddies and they're like, yeah, we've come up with all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, Western medicine has stolen or has adopted the chiropractic and the natural viewpoint finally, because they figured out that what you all are doing doesn't work right. like it, let me take that back it works in short increments mm -hmm. if you have a massive yeast overgrowth diflucan and nystatin are drugs and they work great if you have if you're dying of the bubonic plague antibiotics would be a phenomenal idea but in short amounts then you have to rebuild all the damage that those drugs have caused so right. yeah it's it's it is very interesting like you say the the problem that i see with western medicine is we've gotten away from physiology and we're so far into pharmacology. Mm. So someone comes in and says, I don't have any energy. Well, here's some, you know, here's some Adderall. Here's some methamphetamine. You'll be fine without being like, well, how many calories you're eating a day? What's your macro set? Like, are your adrenals okay? How much B vitamins are you taking in? Like the actual things that make the body run, nobody asks about anymore. Right. And that's the thing that I found so frustrating. And that's, it's funny because I just do that. And then everybody's been coming and being like, this is, you fix my body and this, and it's so great. Like, how do we do this? And it just seems so simple to me. So. Right. You know, sometimes the simplistic answers are the ones that people are searching for, you know, and it's really interesting. You mentioned Adderall. Um, I one time went into a, a doctor and I'm like, oh, I can't pay attention, whatever. And they prescribed me the Adderall. And I looked on it, it says amphetamine salt tablets. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> holy shit <laughs> this is crazy my wife's like oh, okay you know and no wonder why when i i think when they prescribed i don't take those anymore by any means um i think they prescribed me it was something like 50 milligrams twice a day and i took that and i was wired i mean full on oh my god like i did an eight ball in scarface and i was <laughs> going and going <laughs> i went back and told the doctor like and maybe you need to take like, you know, half of it or whatever. I think the, I started, you know, kind of playing with my own. I think I started taking like five milligrams at a time. I'd like break the thing in pieces and then pop it. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be a little like a, almost like a espresso shot, man. I didn't, I didn't refill that thing. I think maybe one time I got a refill, but I just was just completely shot. And, you know, we didn't do anything. I don't think there was any questions about how are you sleeping? What are you eating? What are you doing? Are you stressed? There was none of that, which seems very simple when you think about it. Well, and that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's one of those biggest things, you know, people come in and this is not a frustrating thing. People come in like, well, I have migraines. Okay, migraines are a lack of oxygen. 
Mm. Well, just like, you know, sometimes seizures will do the same thing. I'm like, have you had a sleep study? And they're like, no. I'm like, are you tired all the time? I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I'm like, well, why have you not done a sleep study? My doctor didn't tell me to. So I have a real fun story about this beautiful 130 pound, just ripped 28 year old girl. She had migraines and she had went to the neurologist and had every single study done, uh, came to me and I looked at it and I was like, look, the only thing you haven't done is a sleep study because if you're not breathing at night, this is going to cause lots of issues down the road. And she goes back to her neurologist and he was like, that guy's crazy. He's a quack. Don't listen to him. So she comes back and she's like, I still want to do one. She had some of the worst apnea where she just literally stopped breathing in the middle of the night. We got her CPAP, never had a migraine again. So, you know, you've got that. And then you have people who they're still tracking cholesterol as if cholesterol has anything to do with heart attacks and strokes instead of doing calcium CTs to see how much placking you have in your arteries. So there's still a lot of tests that are cheap, easy, fast that we should be doing, but no one's doing. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of frustrating. Did she go back to the neurologist and say, hey, you know, I did a sleep study and I, I'm not breathing at night? Uh, I made her go back to get off all of her drugs. So I don't know what was said, <clears throat> but um, I know that she's no longer on her meds and uh, she has no issues. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll have been a fly on the wall in that room. Yeah. It's, well, the problem that you get into is that you better be real careful even with those things when you, mm-hmm. when you quote unquote fix somebody else's mess ups mm-hmm. is because, you know, especially in Texas, these guys have such power. They can come through and say all sorts of terrible things. Sure. And so my, my goal is just be like, look, you know, if I can help out in some way, if, you know, we can do this as a team. Right. Um, and most of the times, and this is actually happening a lot. What happens is I'll get calls from these guys and they're like, Hey, tell me what you did. Tell me why this worked. And if you approach it in that, like, hey, let's help each other out, yeah. a lot of these guys have been really, really cool. And like, so I get, I get refers from all over the place for people who don't want to have their gallbladder cut out, but they're having gallbladder issues. And so they'll send them to me and I can actually treat, treat it and fix it. And so yeah. instead of getting your gallbladder cut out, we treat the liver, which is actually where the problem is, and everything's fine. Yeah. So yeah, as soon as these docs found out there was another way, they were like, do you want a surgery or do you want you want the the weird you know nutrition way and they're like i don't want surgery so they they come here well i mean so. that that's comforting to hear and and in fitness it started to go that route as well like if if i'm training somebody and there's some sort of ailment and i'm very good with corrective exercise but i'm not a physical therapist right so then i will send somebody to a physical therapist um or or somebody that does hormones such as yourself i've got a couple of people in chicago that you know do that and and if i don't have the answer for you and i can't find it i'm going to send you to somebody that does and then i think that what that does is that validates you even more some people say like, oh, you know, I think if I, I'm not going to fix them. I can do whatever. I don't have every single answer. But if you're in their corner, you're part of their team. You look at any professional athlete, you know, they've got physical therapists, they've got nutritionists, they've got strength coaches, they've got mobility people, they've got yoga, like also everybody, you know, and it'd be, obviously we're not all professional athletes, but why can't we do that with the medical system as well? And just kind of look at every, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure holistically is the right word, but just over like, how, how can we optimize all of these professionals in our lives that they can work symbiotically? Well, that's, it's funny. Cause that's basically <clears throat> the role that I play is I, I tell people like, look, I'm the quarterback for this. Mm-hmm. Like I know enough about everything that when we get a bad test back, I know who to call. Yeah. So I'll call the cardiologist and be like, hey, man, this calcium CT is X, Y, and Z. Can you take a look at it? And then I'll tell my patient, hey, you need to go see this cardiologist to get this stent put in, or you need to go do this surgery, or you know, wh- whatever it is, or this is the new test we need. I'm going to send you it. So 
there's a lot of that that we're starting to see kind of bubble up around. And I, teach, I always tell people the most reassuring thing you can hear from your doctor is I don't know. Because if they say, look, I'm going to be humble enough to say I don't know, but I'll find the answer out for you. I'll call somebody else and I'll figure out the answer and then I'll send you to that guy so he can fix you. That tells me a whole lot more about a person than them trying to either make up an answer or the thing that really pisses me off is when they say that you're just crazy. So I've had so many patients come to see me and they're like, well, I went to the doctor and they told me they couldn't find anything. So they they prescribed me Xanax. And I'm like, so they couldn't figure out what's wrong with you. So instead of them thinking maybe they didn't have the answer, they just decided you were crazy and gave you drugs to battle anxiety. Like that's, I don't, I'm not okay with that answer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it's almost, a, have you tried everything else on your own with, you know, sleep, nutrition, you know, mindset, yoga, meditation, have you done all of that? Then maybe, you know, you need to pop a pill, but yeah. I think, and that's why uh, your book here, see what I do with that. Just brought that right back around there to the pillars of wellness. Um, yeah. It's not my first time doing this, man. So um, like yeah. Right. So that's not just coconut oil and a tan. So um <laughs> Well, I mean, it is, but it's fine. It gets me in the door. So uh, your, your book, you, you talk about all sorts of different things. And, and I, I want to just summarize what the p- pillars are well, of wellness are, but I really want to get into the weeds of things here. Like you talked about cholesterol and people are not looking at things, but, you know, maybe we talk about, you know, sodium or uh, different particular exercises or why we're diagnosing things wrong. You're talking about osteoporosis in the book, which is really interesting. So all these main things that, you know, General, generally speaking, your medical doctors are looking at only one of these factors and not these other things. So first of all, what, what are the pillars of wellness? So <clears throat> the pillars of wellness are basically, so you can split it into two pieces, which mind and body. So the body piece is biomechanical. How's your body moving? You know, are the muscles functioning? Are the joints moving? Like all that type of thing. How do you, how do you make sure that that corrective forces are going the way they're supposed to? Mm-hmm. And then biochemical, which is, are you taking the supplements right? Do you have, are you eating the right foods? Are you getting the right macro set? Like the chemistry that is your body. We kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then the mind piece, which is, you know, it's funny. I wrote this book and you know, goes, you know, bestseller and all these type of things. And the, the most questions I get are psychological and spiritual, yeah. which is, you know, how like th- those two pieces in the book are your mindset, where you're deciding to go and how it carries you. And then the spiritual piece is how we're connected with everybody around us. And people ask me all sorts of relationship questions and they're like, you know, man, I'm lost in my life. I don't know where to go. I don't have any purpose. And so those two pieces are really, really big because, you know, the purpose piece, man, you can have everything else going for you. If you don't feel like you're moving towards your goal, towards your purpose, everything else in your life seems lost and depressed and falls apart. And that's a massive thing we have going on right now. So helping people with that's been very, very fun. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that makes a lot of sense with your intention or, you know, your why, and you can put any sort of definition around it, but, you know, whether you're, you know, going into the gym to lift a weight and I suppose like I'm going and doing 10 sets of 10, are you doing 10 sets of 10? What exercises are you feeling every millimeter of that muscle working? Are you retracting where your elbows at? Like all that, like that will take your workout to another level. And I, I barely train anybody in person anymore. Um, but somebody could come in and I could say, Hey, what is the workout you've been doing for years on Monday, which generally is international chest day. 
I could have, I could take them through that same exact workout and just the cueing and, and looking at what their elbows are doing and shoulders and whatever, and everything else that feels like a completely different workout to them because they just, they had, they're thinking about it. Right. And even thinking about muscle growing in a workout has been proven to actually help that tissue grow. So you're right. Like you've got to have a purpose, you know, in life or even just for that day or that workout or, or even this call right now, like what, what's the purpose of, of this podcast? Like that, that will really help set you up as opposed to like, Oh, I have to work out today. I get to work out today. And, and what am I trying to achieve in that specific amount of time? And I think that's great that you're touching on that. Yeah, that's, it, it's a, it's a giant piece of not just, you know, working out or this, but it's, it's the basis for a solid relationship. It's the basis for, you know, like you say, everything we do. And I will, I would love to say, the talking about working out and watching your elbows, phenomenal. Like so few people understand how important where the elbow is to everything upper body's elbows. And I made that comment in the book and that's just, it's one of my sticky points. I see people do stuff with their elbows in the wrong spot. I'm just like, I can't, I don't want to say anything to you but you're tearing yourself up. Right, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like whether, whether you're, do, you're doing a, a back squat, front squat, lap, pull down, anything, often the, the, the elbows and the chin, everything up there in the hips, obviously, but as far as uh, upper body and deficiencies and, you know, um, you know, different synergistic relationships or the elbows are going to guide a lot of that. So I, when I did part of the reason why I brought that up is I tell people a lot of times, like your elbows come too far back on a row, then you get that elevation. Like, you know, you don't need to come like, so it's really interesting. So, um, well done, man, on, on the elbows on the book. Nice work. So you've got, you've got these pillars talking about the mental aspect. What else is there? So, you know, we go into, there's a lot of stuff on the individual testing and then the biomechanics, like the elbow thing, <clears throat> or, you know, when you're staring at your computer screen, make sure it's high enough so that you're looking slightly up. So it relaxes all the muscles in the back of your head. That'll decrease sinus issues, ear issues, jaw issues, neck, shoulder, all sorts of problems, as long as your head's in the right position. So we talk about the isotonic isometric function, where your body is in space. Um, one of my biggest things I love is like for the biomechanical piece is having people do single leg squats. Mm -hmm. And the, my favorite piece of that is when I get new NFL guys in like, you know, DBs and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do single leg squats today, body weight. And they're all just like, man, this is really easy. Right. And they start doing it. And that knee starts wobbling around because they've got knee or ankle weakness. And they're like, what's going on? I'm like, have you never done this? And they're like, no, like I always just did bar squats. And I'm like, well, that's why you fall down when you try to change directions. Yeah. And so most of your those on one things, leg, man, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have equal function out of both legs. So, and that's always a fun thing to do. I love doing that to people because like they start getting into it and they think it's going to be super easy. And they're like, Oh my gosh, my body doesn't work right. right. So that one's always fun, but yeah. So the, uh, the mind piece is big. And then, you know, obviously we're talking about how the body works, but the chemistry is also really super important. Um, it's always funny to me when people, come out and they bring this whole like people should be vegan or people should be this. And you're like, people are so diverse. Yes. There's people who need to be vegan. Yes. There's people who need to be straight carnivore. There's people who need keto and that like there's, but you have to understand that there isn't a person. There's a lot of different people. And so if you're going to be really treating people, you have to understand that, you know, everyone needs maybe a little bit different diet and, you know, going through that. So that piece of the biochemistry was really fun we'll get people in here who are just crying and they're like, I've done everything. I've done this. I've done that. And then you talk to them for a minute and you're like, well, one, you're not eating enough. 
-hmm. Two, your calorie, your macro sets wrong. You know, you need to be zero sugars and 10% carbs or the guys come in there, you know, the really skinny guys. I'm like, you need, you know, 60% of your diet to be carbs and a lot of that to be sugar. Yeah. And they're like, what? But muscle fitness says, I'm like, well, right. muscle fitness is not. Well, and, okay. know, and we're, we're not going down the rabbit hole. It's uh, like a lot of these magazines are sponsored. So you got to be careful <laughs> of that. But let's get into that. Like you, you talk about your uh, somatotypes. So ectomorph, uh, mesomorph or endomorph are uh, often a hybrid of all of them. So how should people, generally speaking, you know, how are they going to know what their, you know, macronutrient um, range should be or, you know, what they should be eating? So the easiest way to do it is just kind of, you know, look at yourself and, you know, you can easily Google the, the somatotypes and be and just kind of look at the images, look at yourself and be like, okay, which one of these best describes me? And the other easy way to do it is if your friend eats a donut and you gain weight, you're probably an endomorph. If you can eat whatever the hell you want and you're still a skinny stick, right. you're probably an ectomorph. If you wake up in the morning and go, I'm five pounds too heavy. And then by the end of the day, you've lost it just because you wanted to, you're probably a pretty solid mesomorph. Right. And so that's a pretty rough estimate of how to usually find it. But once you kind of figure that out, then you can go through and you're like, look, I, I want to gain muscle mass as an ectomorph. You're going to have to have a lot more sugar. If you want to lose fat as an endomorph, you're gonna have a lot less or almost zero sugar. And so we kind of go into how that plays in. And it's not that the way you look affects your chemistry. It's that your chemistry has affected the way you look. So the chemistry from birth has affected the way your body's shape is now. And so if you alter your diet now, all that weight falls off. And I've had guys that all they did was change their diet and lose 40, 50 pounds in hundred days. And you know, you got to stick to it, but that's, it's not that hard. I've had ectomorphs who have worked out really hard and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I've got a runner who's been trying to put on weight, couldn't put it on for anything. And we got his resting metabolic rate done and his resting metabolic rate is 3,200. Wow. That's resting. So I was like, dude, you got to eat, he's 18 years old. I was like, you got to eat 5,000 calories and 60% of them need to be carbs. And a lot of that needs to be sugar. And so we set up some, some stuff for him. He's doing smoothies and everything else. And he's gained like five, six pounds in the past couple of weeks. So, you know, it, once you start playing with the right chemistry, everything starts coming together. And so that's why I wanted to make sure I mentioned it in the book of, you know, there's a lot of people who come in and they're just destroyed because they've worked so hard and they've gotten bad advice or they've gotten no advice right. and they just can't get where they want to go. Uh, I, I always take as much time as I can to rip into the BMI yeah. I cannot stand the BMI. Yeah, I'm overweight. Uh, I've mentioned this in the book. Yeah, I, I'm I'm six three. Oh, I'm ten, so I'm overweight. You're you're obese. Yeah, I'm I'm massively morbidly obese. I have you know you can see my abs, like you can see my serratus, like like I have I don't know what about body fat. I need to go get it checked again, but it's low, and I'm morbidly obese. Like it's funny because like if I tried to get insurance, nobody would insure me. They're like you're 235 pounds and six feet tall. That's absurd. Right. So. But you know, I talked about it. it. It actually gave one of my really awesome female athletes an eating disorder. So she goes to her doctor. Doctor takes her BMI and just flippantly goes, "Hey, by the way, you might want to watch, you know, what you're eating because you know your BMI is getting up and you're technically obese." Sia walks out the door. You tell a 17 year old girl she's obese. You right. literally just told her, "Hey, you're a fat ass. Right. Quit eating." And that's literally what she did. She was a phenomenal soccer player, straight A student sweetest, nicest, smart girl. Awesome. Perfect. Like the exact model, what you want for a daughter. 
saw her a couple months later, she'd lost a bunch of weight, had to quit playing soccer, was making C's, was tired all the time because she literally quit eating. Yeah. And it, I was never been so pissed off at another doctor in my entire life because that happened. So how about you just been like, hey, look, the BMI is useless. She has, you can see, you can see the muscle definition in her thighs. Like, obviously she's not fat. Right. Like, so let's take into account what really is going on here. And had he just not said anything and been like, hey, look, I checked your hormones, I checked your blood, I checked all these things, you're healthy. She'd be like, great, and why not? And she would never have lost her, her junior year. She, like, everything would have been fine. But, you know, ends up, and it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was just his lack of understanding sure. that ended up giving her this horrible issue. Well, yeah, and, and BMI was developed for insurance companies for, to, for an easy way to just overall look at if someone, is, if someone is not working out at all and you're just, just doing BMI, then sure, that might be okay to look at. But anybody with any amount of muscle tissue or has been an athlete, unless you're like 40 years removed from that and then the, that muscle is you know completely gone, like BMI doesn't really make sense um, at all. So, well, I'm glad that you know she was able to you know get to you and feel a little bit better at that point. But yeah, I think overgeneralization sometimes can get people in trouble. So, speaking of, of that, like the, these different markers that your you know average doctor is going to do, you know what whether it's you know cholesterol, blood pressure, what what do you have people come into and you say like, Oh, it's, it's not just your cholesterol. It's not, not that you have, you know, osteoporosis, it's your low testosterone levels. What do you generally see that people are kind of get like taken back by when you're like, Oh, it's really that simple. Or maybe I shouldn't just be looking at this one marker. So I won't look at cholesterol at all. Um, there's a Harvard study done that said over 50% of the people who died from a heart attack or stroke in the last couple of years, uh, had good or normal cholesterol. And so I don't even look at it. So when someone comes in and says, hey, man, I want to get healthy, I immediately send them for calcium CT because I want to know how much plaquen they've got. And then we always send everybody for a sleep study because we have, like, I have some of the worst apnea I've ever tested in anybody. And I had no idea. I had never tired, never had any issues, never anything. But I was testing the equipment because I was giving it to other people. And I was, I test everything on myself. And my nurse practitioner sent me down. And she's like, you're going to die. And I was like, what? And she was like, you've got, she, she was like, I spent six years in a, in a Medicare clinic for obese people. And you've, you've got the worst happening I've ever seen. I was like, what are you talking about? And so I read the report and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And so <laughs> that's where I was like, everyone gets a calcium CT. Everyone gets a sleep study. I don't care how good you feel. I'm not going to feel good as a doctor without checking those two things. Yeah. Okay. And then we the, go through and start looking calcium, at hormones. Calcium and CT. So we can, so people can be familiar with that. So it's a, basically, it's a, it's a CT or uh, basically it's an x-ray mm -hmm. of the chest and it shows how much placking is in the arteries in and around the heart. And if you have zero placking, I don't give, I don't care what your cholesterol is. So you're going to be fine for the, they say 10 years. I say, get it checked in three to five, just because it's super cheap, super easy. It takes 20 minutes. I'd rather, I'd rather know five years from now that you're a two, zero to two, because it goes like 400. Okay. But, I'd always want to check that. So that's, that's calcium CT is just an x-ray of your chest. And you, most x-ray places, since it's a cash deal, anywhere from 80 to 500 bucks, they'll do it. You just walk in and say, I want to get it done. Okay. Um, if you get a doc who will write it, sometimes it's a good idea because then they'll go over it with you. Yeah. Um, but that's the calcium CT. Okay. And then next, but, you're, you're... Yeah, so then, you know, the sleep study. Go ahead. Uh, so next, like when we go, when we go to hormones, 
this is this has always been fun because we'll pull hormones. And the reason I started the hormone therapy company was because we kept having women who would come in and they're like 50, 60. And they'd be like, hey, I need to get a bunch of calcium and D3. And I'm like, all right. And I knew why. But I was like, why? Tell me why. And they're like, well, I have osteoporosis. I'm like, okay, well, calcium and D3 are going to be phenomenal for you no matter what. However, it's not going to help you at all. I'm like, what you need is testosterone. And they're like, what? And I'd show them with the physiology, osteoblastic formation or bone growth is driven by testosterone. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, okay. And they'd go talk to their doctors and they'd be like, well, my doctor said that testosterone was a male hormone and women didn't need it. And after I heard that from about the 10th or 12th woman, I started to lose my mind. And I was like, that's it. I was like, I've got to partner with some people. We got to set this thing up. We got to get going. Um, and we started getting these women going again. And there's things that you know. And then when someone tells it to you, you go, okay, yeah, I knew that. That made sense. But you didn't tell it to the person. So for instance, we have a lot of these women who have been have had such low testosterone for so long because of stress and because of the crap diets we all have. So they'll come back and they're like, hey, uh, it's been about a month or so since we started the testosterone and I started having orgasms again. Is that is that normal? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's you're not supposed to lose your orgasms. But without the testosterone, the blood flow and the nerve function to the clitoris goes away. Wow. And so you just have no more sensation. And so that's that was one of those things. I was like, I can't believe I forgot to tell people that. That's kind of an important thing. You know, I think if you led with that, hey, are you having <laughs> orgasms? No. Okay. Do you want orgasms? Yes. All right, take this. You need not have to tell them what it is. Like, yes, I want orgasms. And by the way, I know one of the clips for this podcast now is right now, what we just did. Amazing. All right, can't carry on. Yeah, so you know, it's just, in, that's what I talk about. You know, that's why I mean that my job is to restore physiology. Yeah. So, you know, that's when we go back and we're like, look, yes, this is a medical treatment. And yes, we're going to monitor this very closely with our medical team and this and that, but it's something that you need. You know, if your if your communication system in the body's messed up, the body's not going to run right. Yeah. And so, if we need testosterone for whatever reason, stress or like I said, whatever, or you've had you know surgeries, okay, we need to replace that. And so, that's one of those big things. Like you know, people focus on B vitamins, which they should, and they focus on D three and stuff like that, which they should. Uh, but we start to kind of lose on the on the where of the hormones and how that sort of thing now. The one hormone everybody loves to jump on is thyroid. And I'm not a huge thyroid fan because generally what you see is when the thyroid starts to fail, it's because the gut is screwed up. The adrenals are also messed up, which, which puts way too much pressure on the thyroid, so it fails. Mm. But it's super easy to write a script for Synthroid or Levothyroxine or whatever it is and be like, okay, fixed. And then you do. You feel phenomenal for like a couple months. And then you come in and you're like, I feel just as bad as before because the underlying problem wasn't addressed you just gave them something to juice them up a little bit and so that's one of those big things like you know we talk about hormones but you have to talk about why do you not have this hormone so for testosterone it's almost always a stress or a diet for thyroid it's almost always a you've had too much stress your gut's fried you have no solid probiotics you have too much yeast or you have a parasitic infection which has sucked all your nutrients out your adrenal glands have been overstressed, producing cortisol for way too long. They're kind of fried and, and toast out. And so your body's leaning harder on the thyroid than it should. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of where it is. So you have to go back and go, okay, we're going to clean the liver and the kidneys, reset the gut, build everything back up, give you the nutrients you have to have. And once everything's rebuilt, then you don't need your thyroid stuff. And so that's, that again, that's where we kind of go back. What does the physiology say? 
Yeah. And so that's that's the thing I like about the chemistry. So how do, how do you go about that? It, it, to fixing somebody's thyroid by way of looking at, I mean, obviously I know this is not a, a 10 minute answer and going to fix everybody, but what, what, what are kind of the overarching symbols um, that you see that people need to take care of? Like how, how, what do you do to help fix somebody's gut and adrenals and, you know, stress levels? So, so there's multiple different pieces. So what I like to do for stress is address that from a neurologic perspective. So like uh, I try to get people to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time because that can oftentimes eliminate the need for an alarm clock. And the reason you want to eliminate the alarm clock is because you're super peaceful and resting and everything's fine and dandy. And then all of a sudden that alarm goes off and, you, and you're shocked awake. So your adrenals just went, gave you tons of adrenaline. And you're all, you start off your day in a stress position. So you shift immediately from parasympathetic, which is resting, digesting into this fight, flight, sympathetic mode. And then nothing ever calms down. Now, if you have to wake up to an alarm, cool. Go sit in a chair, wake up 10 minutes early, go sit in a chair, have a glass of water, have a glass of tea and relax and calm down. Do a little meditation, something like that to help kind of calm you down. And then I have people go through their day and between 11 and two, if you can, go work out. And the reason is because there's, there's more research than you care to look at that says that kinetic motion or working out, running, lifting weights, whatever it is, drastically reduces stress to the body. So if you can do that, then eat, because remember, if we decrease stress, we're now in a parasympathetic, resting, digesting state of being. Now you eat, now you actually absorb the nutrients you just ate and things are better. Yeah. Then your stress levels start coming back up. Now, as soon as you get home, and this is the piece that everybody seems to love, as soon as you get home, if you're a wine person, drink a glass of wine. And here's the big thing. If you take that first sip and you put the glass back down and you go, ah. Oh, and you feel yourself unwind, you feel yourself, you just feel like the day just washed off you. That is literally the, the, the actual feeling of you shifting from sympathetic, fight, flight, stressed out, back to parasympathetic, resting, digesting. So it's hypercritical that you have that glass of wine every single day, wine, scotch, wh whatever, whatever your thing is. Yeah. People are always like, yeah, but that's alcohol. One glass is not, we don't even need to talk about that from a biochemistry standpoint. If we want to talk about the sugars in it, that's a different conversation, but the alcohol piece is irrelevant. It triggers your mind. The day is over. I get to relax. I get to put away, I get to put everything back in this box and put this box away. I'm no longer stressed. And then if you want to say, okay, I'm not going to drink. Great. Meditate, pray, do whatever it is you do to signal to your brain today is over. And now I'm at home and I'm, I'm going to do my stuff at home. I'm going to relax. Yeah. After you do that, then you, again, you eat so that you can digest it. So that's, that's how we deal with the stress of the day. Okay. Why, then, why 11 to two? You said 11 to two for your workout. Cause it breaks the day in half. Okay. So, okay. cause, cause, cause if you, if you start your day at seven, eight, somewhere in there, about four hours later, you work out. And then most people want to eat right about that time. They want to do lunch about that time. Right. So you want to decrease the stress, then eat. Right, and then cool. you, yeah. So that, that's, that's how I broke it up like okay. that. Um, so that's how we deal with the stress piece. And then as far as the way the guts function goes is I always tell people, you know, before we clean the gut, I've got to make sure that the waste and the trash can get out of your body. So that's going to be liver and that's going to be kidneys. So in Eastern medicine, kidneys are anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and the liver is, they, they call it angry man or angry person syndrome. Um, so I can always tell people, look, if, if something's giving you anxiety, and after the anxiety goes away and you think about it, you're like, why did that stress me out? That wasn't that big of a deal. Or on the liver side, if something really pisses you off, whether you explode on somebody or not, and then later you're like, 
that wasn't a big deal. Why did I get so angry? Your liver's dirty. So, you know, you can do all sorts of different supplements to clean it up. My favorite thing, the cheapest, fastest, easiest route is a coffee enema, which again, sometimes is a hard sell for people who are just Dude, getting into wellness. I'm, I'm gonna, let's just say um, there's multiple TV shows I'm being pitched for right now. And one thing that I put in the pitch, because let's just say there's, I don't want to give it away, but one of these things that we talked about today was a coffee enema. <laughs> I've never done it, but carry on. I just, I just like, that's, that's really random because I was talking to these producers today about a coffee enema. So and it's funny because people like, it's my favorite. So I gave a lecture one time to a bunch of people and somebody brought their, their husband, who's an MD. And, uh, and so the guy's all smug and, and then, so I get done talking and he's like, do you know how far the colon is from the liver? And I was like the exact distance of the hepatic portal system. And I just kind of looked at him and he's like, what? And I was like, the, you understand why the colon is there, right? This job of the colon is to suck all the fluid out of the fecal matter so you don't dehydrate and die every time you have a bowel movement. That, that blood vessel system that sucks it out of the colon, it takes it directly to the liver so that your liver can then clean all that water, push the water back into the system and the waste then comes back down and gets excreted. So that's why coffee enemas work. If you put a fluid, specifically when it has oils like Coffee has an oil to it. And so that comes through and helps break up co uh, congealed bile salts in the liver. And it gets sucked straight through that hepatic portal system and dropped directly in the liver. So you get to bypass hydrochloric acid, digestive enzymes from the liver and the pancreas and all sorts of things. That's why they're so powerful. That's why they work so well is because it's literally almost designed 100% directly so we can address the liver. With them. Wow. Now, in this country, it's a little hard to talk people into doing that. Sure. So... You know, but so we have other routes of cleaning the liver. Yeah. I almost said no shit. Well, I mean, I didn't have, all right, carry on. <laughs> so we, obviously we have other routes of doing it. You know, you've got nanized milk thistle, turmeric with ginger. You know, there, there's all sorts of other things we can do. So but the, the fastest other problem, is to put coffee up your butt. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. Because the other, the other cool thing about that is if you, let's say you have a parasitic infection in your liver and in your bowel, your gut, you can kill both those parasites with the coffee enema. Okay, so and you, this is not hot coffee, right? I just said, I didn't- Oh, imagine. no, 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 Nin, 95 to 100 degrees. So it's basically the same temperature as your body. I, I, had, I, had, I had to ask the question because I don't want somebody to be like, I made a pot of coffee and then I did a handstand and- <laughs> Yeah, it, that, that's a very, very good point. People will do very interesting things. Okay, so, all right, 95 to 100 degrees. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, you know, and that's, that, that's the best way to clean the liver. Yeah. And it's funny because I've had people come in and they're like, I can't sleep. So sleep is also, if you wake up between two and four in the morning, that's a liver problem. Yeah. And so we clean the liver and that goes away. And I've had people come in like, man, my sleep is trash. I just can't do it no matter what I take or what I do. And I'll talk to them like, look, I will never ask you again, do three coffee enemas in one week. And if you still can't deal with them, I'll never talk to you about them again. They'll do them. And I come back, they're like, oh, they're not that big of a deal. Two weeks later, they come back and I'm like, how's your sleep? They're like, oh, it's awesome. I'm like, okay. It's taken me eight months to talk you into doing this. And in two weeks, your sleep went back to perfect. So hmm? are they doing this at home or is this something you? Oh, up? yes, yes. No. Yeah. This is definitely an at home thing. Okay. This isn't in, in the clinic thing. Okay. All right. So, uh, but no, so that's, that's a big piece. And what's also funny is, you know, we'll talk people into doing coffee enemas and they'll be like, all right, cool. Cause it's the cheapest way. That's why I like doing it this way. Mm -hmm. And they'll call me up because Paris, they'll, some people will see the parasites flowing out of them really? and I get funk. Oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. Um, and I always tell people, 
I will trust you as a person. If you tell me things are coming out, I don't need pictures. You don't need to fish them out and bring them in in baggies. I will trust you. Like, I don't need to see them. Uh, but people still send me pictures. Uh, and so I get phone calls. How many of these can I do in a day? And I'm like, don't do more than three. And they're like, they don't even say thanks. They just hang up the phone and go do another one. So, cause people are so freaked out by the stuff that comes out of them. But wow. that's really cool because afterwards they come back in and they're like, I'm a different person. So the IBS, the celiac, those we've done phenomenal things with the coffee animals and you can fix those things for a couple hundred bucks. Like these massive, massive problems that we spend all day talking about a couple hundred bucks in a month cleaned out. Now, once the parasites are gone, we like to rebuild the gut with a little collagen, some probiotics. If the probiotics are dead, what ends up happening is the yeast always takes over. Mm. So you've got to do like a black cumin seed, biocide, and something to push back on. Diflucan is fine. Uh, it's cheaper. It, to push back on the overgrowth of yeast while you feed the gut the probiotics so that the balance will come back together. And then after that, like two, three months, you know, two, three to six is usually what we spend on IBS and celiac and it fixes it up pretty good. Well, wow. and then so absolutely take somebody with celiac or gluten tolerance, right? Or I mean, celiac is obviously different than gluten intolerance, but um, are they able to have you know, maybe you're, something with gluten in it after that? Once you fix it, are you slowly introducing it? Or what's the process? So generally I tell those people not to eat um, bread in America anymore. Sure. And the reason is because it's not, it's not really the gluten that we have issues with, it's the glyphosate. So glyphosate is a horrible, terrible chemical that it basically is in Roundup and we spray it on everything and it is horrible for our gut. And people are like, why is this such a big deal? It's only a big deal in America. Right. If you go to France, Italy, Spain, you can eat their bread because it doesn't have their stuff in it. Yeah, I mean, so, for example, my, my wife's family is Greek. They have a place in Greece. And if I have a pizza here, and I will eat a whole pizza. I'm a big boy. I feel like a bloated mess for days. If I go there, I have a, well, first of all, I order a pizza myself in Greece and they look at me like fat American uh, because like a whole a family of five will have a pizza. I'm like, give me the pizza and then give me the crepe after that. Yes, I want the ice cream with it too. Um, but I'll have the pizza and then it, it's got the Gouda cheese and the, the dough that they're using. I don't feel bloated afterwards, even though I had probably twice the amount of calories that I had in the States and probably because the lack of glyphosate, uh, glyphosate, right? Yeah. So glyphosate's a massive uh, inflammatory problem. And like the other piece that you mentioned was they have Gouda. Well, the cheese we have here is you can find good cheese. Let me just preface with that. But a lot of the cheese we have here, especially if you're going to order a pizza from, you know, cheapest, you know, $6 pizza type of place, that cheese has got all sorts of antibiotics and it's got all sorts of hormone stuff and it's got, you know, all sorts of problems with it. And a lot of those cows are fed corn. Yeah. Now, here's the fun thing about this that people don't know. GMO corn is almost always labeled not for human consumption because we shouldn't eat it. However, you can feed it to a cow and then feed that milk, that cheese or that steak to a person. <clears throat> and this is the massive disconnect we have in our nutrition system because they're like, Whatever you do, don't eat this corn. It's terrible. Could I feed it to this cow for 10 years and grow this cow real big and then eat that? Well, I don't see a problem with that because, you know, you know what we, we are, what we eat is, is just kind of a joke. So that's also a big piece that we run into. Yeah. You know, and that's why we talk about grass fed, grass finished, that type of yeah. thing with, with our beef. So yeah, the, yeah, the, the beef that I eat and to give them a free plug, Belcampo, grass fed, grass finished. 
like I, and like even the micronutrient profile, which people don't talk about, uh, you know, nutrient absorption, all that sort of stuff, right? It tastes different. Even my father-in-law, and we're living with my in-laws now as we sold our place until we, you know, find a place. But it's like, wow, the, the chicken and stuff is just like a little more dense. I'm like, yeah, because they're free range. They're walking around. They have muscle tissue. They're not just, you know, in a pen and not moving around and same thing. So eventually after a few times of him having it, it's like, oh, this is, but you had to get around like the texture thing too, of just basically eating the, the, the fibrous tissue, which we're not used to doing. And really when you have something that's truly grass fed, grass finished and free range and roaming around, and they is able to add that muscle tissue, uh, you start to feel better too. I mean, it does, I, I, I love the tastes much better myself, but really interesting. Well, what's really funny is so we have, we have several patients that I drive like 45 minutes to get my eggs from. And the difference between a farm raised egg and a store-bought egg is the yolk is a dark orange versus a light yellow. And we had people over to the house the other day and we're making eggs and they're like, what's wrong with your eggs? And I was like, there's nothing wrong with my eggs. There's something wrong with your eggs. And they ate them and they're like, these are amazing. Like, how did you make these? I was like, I scrambled and then I heat. That's (laughs) It's, it's actually the, it's actually the egg. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Hey, I had, you know, an, an A1 Wagyu, you know, piece of beef and it was amazing. How come the, the fajita meat from, you know, from the local you know, steak place doesn't taste the exact same. It's a different product you started with. Right. And so that's the big piece is, you know, and we go into this, people ask me all the time, you know, which sounds a little bit, you know, self-serving and I, I grant them this. I'm the guy who sells the supplements. And so, you know, obviously I'm the one who says everybody needs them, but don't believe me, Google everything and just go through and be like, okay, how much vitamin A, how much vitamin C, how many vitamins are in the food today versus 40, 50 years ago. And if you start looking at that, you're like, oh my God, no wonder everybody's sick. Like even if they ate a quote unquote healthy balanced diet, they're missing three quarters of the minerals and the vitamins they're supposed to get. So it is impossible to eat enough nutrients from your food without going wildly over on calories. And so if we don't start to understand that and either fix our industrialized food complex, which have fun with that, or we start supplementing, you're never going to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, look, look look at it this way for anybody um, listening. I do put this stuff on YouTube as well, but anybody listening. So we've gone from farming practices for flavor to yield how much we can get out of it. So if you're looking at something that tastes good, it probably has more of a a micronutrient and nutrient dense profile. That's why other countries, like I don't like melon from the States, but I love cantaloupe and grease. Big difference. I don't like tomatoes here. I love them. Like I I can go down the list of things because most likely it's probably more nutrient dense or probably less yield or less crop of that. You look at like microgreens. I went to a place yesterday, it was a hundred thousand square foot place with a microbrewery and microgreens and all this sort of different stuff. And they're growing mushrooms. And I walked into the microgreens area, uh, the plant, if you ever go, come to Chicago, go to the plant, take a tour of it. It's amazing. Um, and I was like, this is why my microgreens are $20 because it was a, like a 3000 square foot room and they're just growing these things. And that's why it costs so much, but they're just so nutrient dense. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'd rather spend five dollars to get this big head of lettuce that really just tastes just water, basically. Um, so it's really interesting for that. But I, I do want to touch on you know, like ten minutes here. I do want to touch on supplementation, and because and and you just touched on that why we need to have that because it's impossible to get all of that food unless you're having ten thousand calories a day. Um, 
So what are the major supplements that you feel like people need to be taking that we're lacking in our diets? So there's, there's obviously, I split this into, you know, if you're going to be working out and building muscle and stuff like that, that's one area, but just for health, uh, 100 to, 100 to 400 milligrams of CoQ10 every day. That helps us produce what's called ATP, which is how all of our body tissues, our brain, our muscles, everything, heart, everything runs on ATP. Mm -hmm. CoQ10 is also one of the most powerful antioxidants. So if you're worried about free radical damage that has been linked to cancer, CoQ10 is another great one for you. D3, okay, so I'm going to get in trouble sooner or later for this. D3 is not a vitamin, it is a hormone. The reason I say this is because the definition of a vitamin is something we cannot get internally. We can't make it. You can make D3. The other piece is that D3 signals your body, absorb that calcium ion, and then take it to the bone so we can make more, we make more bone, absorb that chlorine ion so we can go make more white blood cells or more hydrochloric acid or whatever. So it's a chemical messenger to one, help absorption, and then two, direct that ion to where it needs to go in the body. So I always tell people, you want as close to 100, if you're going to do a blood test, 80 to 100 is really where you want to be to be healthy. Because what ends up happening when you get sick, and I don't care, pick your sick, cold, flu, COVID, I don't really care. What ends up happening is your body uses up D3 like its primary battle weapon. And so you go from 100 to like 30. And what's funny is that I have patients who are doing all this stuff right, and then I'll do blood work on them because we do regular blood work. And I'll be like, how have you felt in the last couple of days? And they're like, all right. I mean, not terrible. And so he goes 100, 100, 100, and this last blood work, 30. So what ends up happening is that their body, their immune system was so strong because of the D3, they had all these bullets to use that they didn't even feel like they had a cold or flu. They knew something was off, but they couldn't really place it. So D3 is a big one. So I, I usually tell people 10,000 IUs. I take 20,000 IUs a day, but I'm a little bit bigger person than others. I'll do so, 50,000 three days before and three days after a flight. Oh, that's really smart. I like that idea. Yeah. So um, I also really, I'm a big, big fan of methylated B vitamin complexes mm -hmm. because it's super important all the way through. Um, and the fun thing about that is that you can't really OD on B vitamins because they're water soluble. Yep. So if you think you need 100 milligrams and you take 250 milligrams, okay. And a lot of the B vitamins are, they're so cheap that take one more than you need and it's not that big of a deal. So those are some of the big ones. And then I'm a huge fan of collagen. And this is one of the things we get into in the chemistry. Like when people talk about macros, they talk about protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Your body doesn't need protein. It needs amino acids. And the reason I want to bring this up is because it's important. If you don't have enough protease, when you eat that protein, it can't digest it and break it into its individual amino acids. So histidine is great for liver. It's great for colon health. It's great for a ton of things. Isoleucine acts as insulin to open up your cells and force nutrients into your muscle tissues so they can actually function. Leucine has the highest muscle protein synthesis factor of anything that's out there. So I like collagen because it's a very, very, very clean, easy way for your body to get the amino acids, the building blocks of the body it really needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, a lot of those collagens you can put in your coffee and it won't break a fast. And so, but the other cool thing is if you're running keto or carnivore or something like that, and you're also fasting, people come in and they say, Hey, sometimes early in the morning, I get a little brain fog. My brain doesn't work like it's supposed to. If you take collagen, it won't break your fast. But your body can actually take that those amino acids and go through what's called gluconeogenesis, create its own glucose to feed the brain 
and the brain will no longer have those, those slowdowns or those issues. So collagen's a really, really big player as well. You know, lots of people talk about hair and nails and joints and stuff like that. And yes, it does that, but it also helps with the brain and rebuilding every piece of your body. So those are probably the ones I say, like, you've got to take these. You got to figure out a way to get those in. What about bone broth? Um, so I love bone broth. Bone broth's great. Um, so my vegans are a little against that, but fine. Sure. Uh, I love bone broth because it gives you a lot of these same collagen effects. Um, so yeah, that's fantastic. But if you're going to do it, I really like the one, like the, if you're going to focus on it, focus on the, the full five spectrum. So like I have a lot of people who do beef and chicken bone broth so that they mm -hmm. get kind of a little bit wider spread, yep. which is fantastic. So yeah, that's, that's pretty solid. Great. All right. So what about, um, uh, a couple ones for people that want to add muscle tissue? So if you're looking to do muscle, so the biggest thing is that one, so you gotta make sure you have enough sleep. You gotta make sure you have enough water, tons of leucine. So we already kind of talked about that. So, you know, if you want to talk about branched chain amino acids, Within 20 minutes of working out, you want to do those. Collagen or branch chain amino acids before you go to bed so they can help. Uh, lots of water. And you got to make sure that you're eating enough calories for fuel. And then you've got to make sure that you're tearing the muscle tissue up. So when you go to the gym, you have to tear the muscle tissue down. You have to reach failure every day. So when I talk about failure, if you do legs and you can walk to your car, you did it wrong. Like you you, you got to be able to you, – if you don't have to sit down and rest for 20 minutes – you met, you messed up. No, if, and, you, if you can do a controlled sit on the toilet to take a shit, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it right. But and the funny thing is people go, oh, so I have to lift real heavy. No, like, oh, no, not at all. Like, I'm a much bigger fan of slow. You can take the same amount of weight. So, like, I have 20-inch arms, and I do 30-pound dumbbells. Like, that's, like, I'll do, I'll do 25 to warm up. I'll do four sets of 30, and then I'll do uh, three sets or four sets of 25 again. So, you don't have to lift heavy to get big. You have to lift properly, yep. slow, controlled, perfect form. Those are the things that really get it. And people are like, well, I did 10. I'm like, then do 12. Yeah. Or you know what? Slow down. You know, if you take you a minute and a half, two minutes to do all, all 10, all 12, all 15 reps, mm -hmm. the slower you go, the more force is put in the muscle, right. the more concentrated you can get that, that thing. So those are the big pieces that people I see missing. Yeah. Um, everyone wants to point at testosterone, which, yeah, if your testosterone as a man is 250, we got to get it back up to 1,000. Mm -hmm. If your testosterone is, you know, 20 or 10 or 2 as a woman, you got to get it back up in that 80 to 150 range. And so that is a piece, but the biggest piece, especially with kids, the biggest piece I see is that either we're lifting wrong, we're not eating enough calories, we're not sleeping right, we're not drinking our water, those are big pieces, you know, and then obviously like the nutrition, like I said, those are big pieces. Yes. Check, check your testosterone, but those pieces are the ones that we can't play with. You've got it. You got to get those in. All right. Great. So one more question, where do you hope the future of, um, you know, your industry and just health in general is headed? Well, from a hope standpoint, I hope that the, the, let's say Western medicine, the medical guys and the natural guys can converge even more. You're seeing a big functional movement where these Western medicine docs have realized they're unhealthy, they're hurting, they're fat, they're out of shape, they're terrible. And they start looking at, you know, our side of the fence and they're like, Hey, all right, man, I've been reading that what you guys have been doing for 30 years. Apparently it works. Talk to me about it. And so that's been really, really good as that, that as we're starting to come together and be like, yeah, we can play together in the same park and get a lot better results. So that functional medicine, that functional movement's really, really big. The problem that I actually see, if we want to be realistic, 
is that I feel like medicine in general, whether it's holistic, natural, or Western medicine, pharmaceutical, is making this big, huge divergent. And so it's either have tons of money and you get the best care in the world, or you're going to end up with trashy care on the other side. So the reason I point this out to people is because you cannot anymore rely, and I think the, you know, not to bring political stuff in here, but the, the Fauci emails, I think are a really good sign that you can't trust the government or somebody else to take care of you. Mm-hmm. You've got to take some personal responsibility and be like, okay, I'm going to find the people I trust. I'm going to read these books. I'm going to do this stuff. If my health is truly important to me, I'm going to make personal time to work out. I'm going to do, because everybody knows you got to work out. You got to eat right. You got to supplement. You got to drink your water. got to sleep. Like no one's going to be like, nope, that's not what you do to be healthy. But how many people actually take the personal responsibility to make sure they're doing it? That's the big thing I think we need to focus on in the future is wherever medicine goes, you're in control of your personal life. So, you know, watch podcasts like this, you know, read up on the different information, you know, find these functional medicine guys who are pushing nutrition instead of pharmaceuticals. And that's the piece I think we really need to be focused on for the future is, you know, no matter where it goes, what are we doing for ourselves? Right. So that's, that's the big piece I try to tell people to look at yourself first. Perfect. Dr. Chalmers, where can people find you? Uh, all the social medias is Chalmers Wellness and Dr. Chalmers One. Um, so they can do those. Uh, ChalmersWellness.com. Uh, those are going to be probably the easiest places to find me. So uh, they can do that. We're in Frisco, Texas, if you want to swing in and do that. But the web's probably the easiest place. Amazing. Make sure to check out your book, Pillars of Wellness. So people don't forget about that. Uh, all right, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's always entertaining. You were especially entertaining. So um, thank you. Next time you come on, I don't want to see any sleeves. Deal. <laughs> all right. I'm Joey Thurman. There's another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty. F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Cheers. Cheers.